The Browns playoff roll continues. Oh, how about them apples? The Browns with a big win in Pittsburgh on Sunday night football wildcard weekend and advancing to the divisional round for the first time since 1994. I'm Jason Gibbs alongside Andrew Gribble and Nathan Zagura. This is the best podcast available. And gentlemen, uh, a good Wednesday to you both. We turn the page from Pittsburgh to Kansas City, but I do want to get a few thoughts on the magic that has happened all week. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. I'm not turning the page completely. We'll get to that. Let the team turn the page. Yeah. What's that? Let the team turn the page. We can revel. Yeah, let's have some revelry giving. We should revel. Number one, what was it like at Heinz Field on Sunday night? You were both there. What was it like? Your takeaways, Gribbs, you were up. Were you in the press box or were you in an auxiliary press box? Zagara, you were down in the moat area. Gribbs, uh, I'll start with you. I was in the press box. I believe I was seat 50 in the front row. So that's the furthest to the right that you can be in the press box. But I did share a pane of glass with the Steelers radio booth. So not good times in, in, in there. I mean, they, they, they were stunned just like I was. I mean, I, I'll be honest. I don't even know if my, my eyes were directly on the field when that first snap went over, over the head of Ben Roethlisberger. And I was just like, what is going on here? It didn't even look like the game had begun. And then it was just, it was just a weird feeling. And I'm sure Nathan can, can go elaborate more on this, but you know, I, I would say we've been maybe a little bit spoiled having fans at first energy stadium all year this year, but that is what made it feel so weird. And I don't, I don't know if it played into the Browns advantage. I don't know if it was uh, a disadvantage or really neutral for anyone, but to be in that game, this, this game of such magnitude for Browns fans and, and just the franchise as a whole, and to be in a building where only 2,500 people got to see it was strange. And I, I, I would have, I would have obviously enjoyed the same result no matter what, but to, to have had that same result, but it be in front of 65,000 sad Steelers fans, that would have been on another level, but it was just kind of an eerie kind of calming feeling. And and I think the Browns just took advantage of it. And you just, it was truly stunning to watch in person because you just couldn't NFL teams don't jump out to 28 point leads. It just doesn't happen, but this happened in the playoffs and uh, the Browns benefit from it. Yeah. There's no doubt. It, it was definitely interesting. And I was trying to think for me, I think that is, you know, the the least number of people since week one. Cause I feel like when we played in Cincinnati, there were, there were some fans in that building. And so week one for me was Baltimore, obviously. And there was nobody, it was myself, a, a few other members of the media and, and their 10 person band uh, for the Ravens. And that I thought was so weird. It was like, you're on the set of a movie watching something that was gonna be put in front of an audience later on. Uh, and this kind of had a similar feel but the people behind the Browns bench. So there were some fans behind our bench and then behind theirs. And I'm assuming their bench was their friends and family. Our bench was our friends and family. And so getting to see the players kind of interact with their families during the game was awesome. Kareem Hunt's parents were there and had a, uh, a like late nineties, WWE raw homemade signs for Kareem, which I thought was the coolest thing. And so it was kind of a unique atmosphere. It was incredibly quiet. I mean, obviously where I was, I would hear the Browns fans behind me, you know, Coach Preeper's wife and his daughters were there and, and you could hear them erupt with things and you really could hear the bench, which was, which was pretty cool. But it was kind of a surreal feeling all in all. I mean, and I just watched yesterday, watched the game back on TV. I'd watched all 22 and then I watched back on TV and on TV, you didn't get the same sense of the silence 
that you did there. They still did a great job of creating that big game atmosphere. Um, but we just took it to them physically. And that's really what jumps out. The way Kareem Hunt ran over Spillane and clapped him all the way into the end zone, the way that Larry Ogunjobi took Pouncey back 10 yards on that third and one. I mean, we just physically dominated this team. And you know, the story I like to keep telling there, too, one is, you know, on one of my sideline hits, I said, Jim, thank God you are at First Energy Stadium in a completely different location and you are narrating the same things that I'm seeing because otherwise I might not believe, like I may have thought I drove into some portal that was fulfilled with Brown's fantasies because it just didn't seem, you know, it was so unexpected, 28, nothing, most points ever in a first quarter. And that was cool. I will say the crowd part of it, Gribbs, I think definitely played into our advantage in the third quarter because when they cut it to 12, I've been in that place, and I remember, you know, John Football's first start there, for example. That place can get rabid. I mean, rabid. And, of course, they may play Renegade. They didn't, so we played it to open CBD. No big deal this week. But, you know, that, I think, was different because then it kind of magnifies, right? The momentum magnifies. The pressure magnifies all that. So you didn't have that. And then when we hit the, the screen to Nick Chubb, it would have been great, great, to go from that rabid, we're back in this game, to just the silence, the defeat, like Cartman with Scott Tennerman. The tears of infinite sadness would have tasted so delicious, but we didn't really get a chance to experience that. So we'll just revel in the fact that we won, which is great, and their season is over. And I think the most stunning thing is, is I think this gets thrown around too much with NFL teams, because we see how hard all these teams prepare week in and week out. And I actually talked to, uh, as an aside, I talked to Blake Hans recently, and he talked about, being with the Jets all season, he's like, even though we lost like almost every game, you like, everyone showed up, everyone was working hard. That's what happens in the NFL. So I don't put this out there lightly, but it really was like this. It was the Browns who practiced all week and the Steelers who didn't. And it was, it was like the first time in my time watching the NFL, I've seen a team maybe overlook an opponent, especially in the playoffs. And I think that's what was so stunning about that first quarter is this, the Steelers didn't come to play and they happened to catch the Browns with, one of, I would say this is the third time this year where the Browns just came out guns ablazing, and they the the Steelers picked the wrong time to overlook the Browns because it was those Browns that played against the Titans and the Cowboys earlier this year that showed up and put the Steelers in a hole that I know people were worried during the third quarter and getting a little nervous, but it's it's almost impossible to 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 come back from that deficit in the NFL. It's just too hard to do. It is. It was just. It was. It was great. I think it goes to the coaching. The, the fact that we didn't get to practice and that these guys were this locked in and able to execute and play at that high of a level right out of the gate is amazing. And there's something to be said, I think, for being able to stay kind of in a semi-rhythm. And the Browns had to do a lot of it mentally. They did get in on Friday. But, you know, you think about it. Pouncey didn't play in Week 17. Ben didn't play in Week 17. Pouncey's first snap of the game leads directly to a touchdown. Ben throws four interceptions in the game. You know, Cam Hayward didn't play, and we didn't hear his name in a game that you would have thought he was going to dominate. Instead, Michael Dunn and, and Blake Hance dominated him. T.J. Watt was a non-fact. He drew a holding penalty on Kendall Lamb's first snap, which is, you know, you come in, you're not quite loose yet, and you have to deal with that speed. So uh, I, that's interesting. And then, you know, not to look too far ahead, but these Chiefs are not going to have played, the players of significance on the Chiefs team aren't going to have played for three weeks which I think is a, it's a long time, but you're right. The Browns came out like gangbusters and it was awesome. This is something that everybody, every Browns fan will remember for the rest of their lives. I mean, here's the thing to me that is crazy. I was actually at the grocery store and a guy says to me, he said, kids who are 25 years old 
had never seen the Browns win a playoff game. Yeah. 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 I mean, I was 94. I was a high school senior. I was a sophomore. Yeah. I mean, people people who are 50 years old have never seen the Browns win a road playoff game. 50. That's right. Just crazy. And and for the Steelers, you know, this is not the first time that, I mean, you could say their last home playoff game was that loss to the Jacksonville. They didn't take them seriously. And Leonard Fournette ran all over them. Barstool Sports has a great compilation of, of fan reactions to both that game and this one from, from Steelers fans. Staged or not, quite entertaining. <laughs> All right, Zagura, the Browns beat the Steelers on Sunday because they did blank. You may only pick one thing. Say they, they read the winning mix and they went one, two, three, four, right down the winning mix. But I'll start with they got off to a fast start. That was it. That, that was always the key to me this week. Gribble. They forced turnovers. I mean, that was the, the, this defense, obviously 500 passing yards has some, some issues uh, stopping the pass and, and letting teams get in that rhythm. But when this defense is forcing turnovers, that wipes away and covers up a lot of, a lot of shortcomings. And I think you force, I, I thought it would take two turnovers to win this game. Uh, I'll take five. You, you turn, you force turn five turnovers, you're winning a game. And I think all of them were significant. All of them mattered. And it, you just, it, it's impossible to win a game when you turn the ball over five times. And how about the fact that the players who got were responsible for the five turnovers, we'll give Carl Joseph the credit because he fell on, on the ball in the end zone. And by the way, it was his pressure that led to the MJ Stewart interception. But in the middle of the season, he was not a starter. Carl Joseph was not a starter for the Browns. MJ Stewart was not a starter for the Browns. Porter Gustin was not a starter for the Cleveland Browns. Sheldrick Redwine was not a starter for the Cleveland Browns. Sione Taki Taki is probably the only one that you would say in certain packages was a starter all year long. And those are the guys that come up with the five turnovers. And that just to me says everything about this team, overcoming adversity, the preparation, next man up, and they've done it all year long. And it's just it's so cool to see. And in some ways it was reminiscent of last year. We could go through the guys who were playing defense. You remember in that game late in the season in Pittsburgh, we're like, who are these guys that said this year, when you say that it's guys who have been here, obviously, but they just make plays. It doesn't matter. You need Nick Harris to come in with one big game against the giants. When Chris Hubbard goes down, he does it. You need Michael Dunn. He does it. You need Sheldrick. He does it. Porter Gustin, five-star diving. We talked about those tip balls all week. Kevin Stefanski spoke it into existence in the team meeting the night before. And it happens. And that's just, this team not only is, is having success like we haven't seen with the Browns, right? This is such a fun ride. They're so fun to root for. And they're such, they seem like such a team. And I think you got to give a lot of credit to Stefanski and staff. And then of course, these players who buy in, put in the work, are doing their drops. And I'm sure when we talked to Michael Dunn, doing his pass sets in the street with, you know, people, significant others in their lives, calling out the cadences and all. I mean, just the commitment and just, it's so Browns though. It's the best of the Browns. And then Jarvis Landry, love, just pure love. I couldn't love that guy anymore. Yeah, just an unbelievable night, a magical night, uh, a night none of us will ever forget. Seminal moment. I mean, is this the moment where this franchise takes turns that corner? You know, there have been so many times this year where we can say, well, was this the moment where the culture changed or where this team changed? This might have been the case on Sunday night. 
where this was the moment, getting over the hurdle, going into Pittsburgh and winning, knocking your rival out of the playoffs. I, I mean, is this the defining moment in terms of this franchise turning things around? Gribble, I'll start with you. I think no pressure. It, I don't know if it's a defining moment. I think it's one of the biggest moments, but I would, uh, maybe I'm giving, t- I mean, the, the regular season to me was quite a series of defining moments. I, I think you, you shed a lot of baggage during that regular season. And I think getting to the playoffs was a, was a moment. And I, I think that, I think you slayed a lot of dragons to get to this point. And this was just another one on the way. So I don't know if I'm going to defining moment. I, I think this is just going to be the most memorable moment from this season, unless, you know, special things happen this coming weekend against the chiefs and beyond. But to this point, to this point, it is the biggest moment of the season, but I'm not going to find him because I think the culture and foundation was set regardless of what happened Sunday night. Give Do you mind if I kind of like go a little, do a little yarn, a little chronological journey here? As long as you don't take like 30 minutes, we're we're great. All right. So I felt like the culture began to change as soon as this offseason started and Kevin Stefanski, which, you know, is a year and a day ago, was named the head coach of the Cleveland Browns. And so you had that. Then you have the 4-H talks. And Gribbs wrote a great article about that with Andy Janovich about these 4-H talks that helped bring this team together. And you got a sense in camp as limited as it was that you know things were going to change and everybody was saying the right things. But of course, everybody says the right things that time of year, right? First, first big clue, week two, you go into Baltimore, you get boat raced, you have a short week to turn around and what is now a must win game and you win it. And you came out and you played well at home and did what you had to do. That was really the first clue. Then you go to Pittsburgh and we know what happened the first time we went to Pittsburgh and we bounce back from that. And I think that is a seminal moment for Baker Mayfield. His performance in that game against the Cincinnati Bengals after Odell Beckham goes down is the moment that everything, in my opinion, changed. Now, we did not have a great game the next week against the Raiders, but then we bounced back from that. And, and so you're starting to see this team win in ugly ways and that those ugly, you know, terrible, terrible weather games. Then you have that Monday night game against the Ravens, which I think was, again, a step forward, albeit with a loss. And you follow that up with a huge must win on the road against the Giants. You lose to the Jets. You follow that up again with a win against the Steelers. And Kevin Stefanski's team, and Gribbs was right on this stat all the way, one of four in the NFL that did not lose consecutive games at any point this year. No surprise, all four made the playoffs. Three of them are in the final eight. Us, Kansas City, our opponent this week, and, of course, the Green Bay Packers. That and when we went to week 17, before we even played that game against the Steelers, I was asked the, on, on the pregame, what's the word that describes the season? I said foundation. To me, the foundation was built whether we beat the Steelers in week 17 or not. When we did, we put the seal on the foundation, not going anywhere. This week, we started to build the house. And that could have started next year and that would have been fine. But now we have done that and saying, okay, foundations here. Now we're building the house and who knows, maybe we'll get the whole first floor. And after we beat the Kansas city chiefs on Sunday, if we're able to do that, but I, that's what it was to me. The foundation was set, set. You knew we were going in the right direction, but now you're getting to grow on top of it. And I think that's, what's so exciting. And, and really it's Stefanski. It's the buy-in it's Baker's development. I mean, since that interception against Cincinnati, 19 touchdowns and one interception. 
And I don't think it's being talked about enough, to be honest with you. I don't think he's getting nearly enough credit. And I felt when I watched the TV broadcast back this week um, of the game, it was like they were almost downplaying his role. The guy went in there and they threw that cover one robber at him that led to a pick six on a critical third down. And he throws a perfect ball that leads to a touchdown to Jarvis Landry. And to me, that and then Kareem running them in the end zone is over. And I don't think he's getting enough credit. But I think we're building the house now, which is awesome. Not a bad thing. Not a bad thing. Get the yard figured out too. We got to get the yard figured out. Got to have a good yard. That's for you. Zero turn mower. That's zero turn Done. mower. Got it. Got it. Got a cup holder, beverage. Ready. Good to go. I'm ready to go. I'm going to thrive in that situation. All right. Uh, quick look at the Chiefs. And it's early in the week as we uh, as we look ahead. Divisional game comes your way Sunday. 3.05 is kickoff. Thank God. Not a Sunday night game. Big fan of no Sunday night football game. Um, Undefeated three, on Sunday night, Gibbe. Yeah, but like I, I cannot – I am tired of waiting around all day. It is rough. The <laughs> wife does not like it. The wife was like, get out. Uh, people started showing up. You know, our, our radio crew started showing up four hours before kick. I go, what are you all doing here? I didn't know what else to do. And my wife said, get out of the house was the answer from the majority of people. So – uh, I, I mean, it was, I don't like waiting around all day. 305, solid kick. Uh, and and you, you got Nance, you got Romo, you got the whole CBSA team here in a big divisional matchup with the Chiefs. What's the Chiefs' biggest weakness? Gribble, I'll start with you. I mean, it's going to be hard for this to manifest in the playoffs, but I would say their biggest weakness is complacency. Uh, I think that they had the most ho-hum uh, not – even drawing much attention 14 and two season in NFL history. And if they had even tried in week 17, they probably would have been 15 and one. So this, this is a, this is an all time great team, but they just didn't look like the chiefs of last year for most of this season. I, I just think that they, they made a lot of games closer than they needed to be. They turned it on when they needed to be needed to have it turned on. And so that's why I think people are just like this chiefs team is just kind of, the chiefs and, and, and they don't have that kind of mystique that you might have with a 14 and two team, but that also the, their biggest weakness, like I'm a, a George Costanza in a job interview can, can turn this into to their biggest strength. Cause that, that, that's the fear is that they've been holding it off and the, the switch gets flipped in the, in the playoffs. So, but to this point, their biggest weakness has been complacency or so you're hoping that carries over and at least leads to a little bit of an early hangover for Kansas city in this game. So girl, the chiefs, to your point, Cribs, to me, remind me of an NBA team that all they care about is the postseason and they did what they had to do to lock up the number one seed and get home court advantage, or in this case, home field advantage. And that's, that was it. I, it almost felt like they were content to just do enough to win every week and didn't feel the need to go full throttle at any point when they wanted to have a statement game here or there. It felt like they did, but their last seven wins have all come by a touchdown or less when they certainly could have done more than that, or you would think. Uh, when it comes to weaknesses on this team, uh, it, there certainly aren't many. You could say maybe it's their rushing attack, but when, Bal when Buffalo dared them to rush and said, we're just going to play deep safeties, they ran for 250 yards that game and beat the Buffalo Bills. So I, I don't know. Rush defense is 12th worst in the NFL, most 12th most generous. So maybe that's what it is. Their line without Mitchell Schwartz has not performed nearly as well. Uh, Patrick Mahomes has been under more pressure the last four weeks, but look, this is a really good football team. And I think like Rip said, I I'm not, I know 
we have not seen them at their best fully locked in. And so I think we will see that. And by the way, they're not at their best fully locked in is pretty darn impressive. The the Chiefs that played the Ravens earlier this year are not losing to anyone. The the Chiefs that in the first half you of can beat anybody, Grips. Come on. And I'm saying you that, learn when you say as a journalist in this town, when you say the Browns have no chance, it no. doesn't play. I'm saying that that Chiefs team came in small doses this year, yes. is what I'm saying. Is that that Chiefs team that was probably their best game of the season at Baltimore. Then they were unbelievable in that game. They, their first half against Tampa Bay, they looked unbeatable. But then that the the rest of the time it was just like going through the motions yes so that the the advantage you have as the Browns is you're coming in hot you're feeling really good about yourself and you're you're wondering you can maybe try to put the Chiefs down early while they're still working through some things and and waking up and shaking off the cobwebs that hey this is the playoffs it's it's time to time to flip the switch because you see that to make another NBA comparison you see that a lot you see some teams lose game one before going on to the gentleman's sweep you know this is one game in the playoffs so you can you can take advantage of that and, and maybe catch a team sleeping here all right if the browns are to win sunday which they have as good a chance as anything as any one is anything We're right hot, now baby yeah but playing quite well if they're to win sunday i'm asking you to rank your top three players from number three to number one who have to have the biggest impact zagura last week I had Gribble start everything. I'm going to have you start on this one. Your number three player, counting down to number one in terms of guys that have to have the biggest impact. You know what? I'll open it up. can be coach if you'd like. You want to throw coach in there as a wild card? I'm going to throw it out there for you. All right. I'll go. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll take the bait there and I'll try to keep it. I'll give some interesting answers. I think we're both going to have the same number one like we did last week, which I think is, is apropos. But number three, I'm going to go Joe Woods. Joe Woods, and I realized that there was a lot of criticism of our defense this week because of the numbers that were allowed and people don't like that, you know, oh, we let them kind of walk down the field. Listen, the closest they got was 12 points before that touchdown and two at the end of the game. And part of it was the clock was your friend. And so, uh, but, but the real adjustment that Joe Woods made was we were a team that played cover to 1% of the time in the regular season, 1%, second fewest in the NFL. And Joe Woods said, you know what? They're doing, we talked about that vertical passing, 51% of the Steelers yards that came on vertical passes against the Browns, 19% against the rest of the league. We've got to take that away. We played cover two 26% of the time in that game against the Steelers. So we made a total shift and did it on a week where we had one practice, which is one of the main reasons Ronnie Harrison didn't play as much because he didn't get any work in the cover two. So you make that shift, you throw it out there. You get the turnovers, and a lot of it came because of the cover two. Ben had to throw over the middle of the field. Guess what? He was high. Interceptions for us, all because of that adjustment. So Joe Woods is critical. He's got to come up with whatever the magic adjustment is again this week. No come pressure. Come up with that adjustment, and you're going to get some reinforcements with Denzel and Kevin Johnson back as well. And you wonder, do they take MJ Stewart off the field? I'm kind of inclined to say no at this point, but – you know, that adjustment by Joe Woods, who, again, is going to be able to draw on some of the things he did with the Niners. Because if Emmanuel Mosley doesn't bust that coverage, the Niners defense wins them that Super Bowl. And so I think he's going to have some good ideas from there. But I'll say Joe Woods having another. And I believe he had a standout game in that game against the Steelers, despite what Ben Roethlisberger's numbers were. Gribble, number three for you. 
Yeah, so since we're still awaiting news on guys getting off the, the reserve COVID list here, I'm going to make it a bit of a tandem. I will say it is the tandem, potentially, of Denzel Ward, Terrence Mitchell. And most importantly, it's whoever gets the assignment of guarding Tyreek Hill because that is the, the game changer on Kansas City's offense. I, I think, obviously, number one with them is Patrick Mahomes as the most irreplaceable player. But I think Tyreek Hill is number two because he changes everything you have to do on defense. And he you can play a perfect game against him for all but two snaps, and those two snaps can make the difference. So uh, he, is the, he is the biggest game changer on that offense for Kansas City, and it's going to be on the Browns' corners to really just bottle them up and let those other guys beat you. I don't, I don't care if it's, if you're, you're marching down the field with, with the other chiefs receivers, let those guys beat you. Don't let Tyree kill beat you because then it, it happens in one play instead of a few. And that's fewer opportunities to cause a turnover. Gribble get money. Mitch in 2017 was a member of the Kansas city Revenge game. That's right. It's a revenge game for a few players. Gribble number two for you. A little snake. I'm going to go another tandem, the Chubb-Hunt tandem of the Browns running attack and specifically what they do on second and third downs because the, the, the recipe to beat the Chiefs is to keep their offense off the field. The time of possession that the Browns had in the Steelers game this past week, that's not going to cut it. You need to be the team that has the ball longer because that's less time for Patrick Mahomes to work his magic. So you need to be launching, uh, doing these methodical drives that are run heavy, keep the clock moving, short passes, whether it be to Chubb and Hunt in the screen game, they're going to be active and involved. And it's got to be the strategy you used against the Giants. Maybe that was on purpose or not, but that's the type of game strategy that'll work against the Chiefs because limit the possessions, limit the opportunities, you're giving yourself a chance. Zagura, number two for you. I like that, but Gribbs, I'll just say this. If our defense wants to give us short fields and we score touchdowns in three plays or oh, less, I'm still going to take it. But yeah. Give me one play. Let's go. If, it, if it's a normal type of a game, then yes. Let's go ahead and get those eight-minute yeah. drives. Who's their center? He can snap the ball all over the place if he wants. All over. Austin Ryder, former Brown. Our guy. He used to love to go in the Zagura zone, Mr. Ryder. Nonetheless, here we go. That's old school right there. That's for the old school loyalists. Yeah, you know you're not a bandwagon fan if you know what that was about. All right. Number two for me is going to be Miles Garrett. Uh, this is a game that screams Miles Garrett game-changing play. Their tackles are not their strength. And we don't know about Mitchell Schwartz, if he'll be back yet or not. Uh, if he is, obviously, he's a huge strength. But Miles Garrett, Eric Fisher, that's a matchup that, you know, you, you got to feel like he's going to get the better of. And really, the only way to stop Mahomes is pressure. Mahomes is rating. Mahomes has 30 touchdowns, or maybe it's 36. I don't know. Ridiculous numbers, 35 with no pressure three interceptions and a quarterback rating of 122. But when you pressure him, he's kind of like human. His ratings in the seventies, you know, it's, it's eight touchdowns to three interceptions. So I think it's 30 and three without pressure. He has 38 on the season. So this is a game for miles Garrett to do something spectacular because I think we are going to need a game changing play on defense. And look, he wasn't a part of five of them this week necessarily. Although anytime he's on the field, he's a part of it. Cause if he's triple team, that's what allows Carl Joseph to get pressure and all of those things. So not to minimize his role, but this is one where it feels to me like this is the miles Garrett comes around the corner, strips Mahomes. We pick it up. We race to the house. We're posing in front of cameras and everybody's going nuts. Zagura number one for you players that have to have the biggest impact Sunday for a win. 
Baker Mayfield. And I have full confidence that he's going to play a great game. I, I, that's just what he is. That's what he does now. That is the expectation. He's talking about the standard. Well, let me tell you something. Baker Mayfield, you, sir, are the standard. You have set the bar and you are meeting it week after week after week after week. And if you're a Browns fan, that's the biggest thing. What Stefanski has done culture-wise, organizationally, with he and Andrew Barry and Depot, that's massive, right? But the other thing you wanted to find out this year, whether it was a playoff run or not, was is Baker an elite quarterback? And the answer is unequivocally, yes, he is an elite quarterback. 19 touchdowns and one interception since that opening pick in Cincinnati. This guy's playing elite football. You're going to need it. You're going to have to score points. You would love to be able to get somehow into a game like they had with the Falcons where it's 17-14, something like that. I feel like that's unlikely as much as I would like it to be the case. So he's going to have to make big plays. And what I love about Baker is he has been at his best recently on third downs, and he's added a wrinkle, which is in critical moments, he is picking up first downs with his legs. And that is something that really, I think that's part of a trend in the NFL. You've got to be able to do that once, twice a game, extended drive. He did it on that third down right before the half that got us to 35. That was massive in that game against the Steelers. So Baker's the guy, and I have all the confidence in the world that he is going to ball out again. Gribble. Yeah, I'm going with the same one. I don't care if we're repeating ourselves, but this, is, okay. a, this is a game you need points. And, you know, you, I'm not saying you need 48. But you just might. I mean, because if you scored 40, if the Chiefs, if you replace the Chiefs with the Steelers in that game this past week, they might be the ones that can complete that kind of comeback. That's what they have in their arsenal. They did it, what was it, a couple years ago against the Texans. The Texans. I mean, they, they, and it looks so easy to them. So you know that that kind of run is in them at any point in the game, no matter what kind of lead you build. So that means you'd have to keep scoring. And the quarterback is the one that helps you keep scoring points. So it, it's on his shoulders and he's played fantastic football. I saw the stat that's gone around that Baker's had a better PFF rating than Mahomes since, since week seven of the season, very by a very small number. They're both playing at a very good level, but you know, this may need to be a reincarnation of the, the red river rivalry shootout that these guys or whatever it's called when Oklahoma plays Texas tech, I'm probably wrong with that, but you know, this, this has to be, it could be that again. I mean, this is going to be a high scoring game. Like I said, Nathan, I wish I, I I'm dreaming of that Falcons chiefs score for this one, but odds are you're going to need to keep up with one of the best offenses in, in NFL history. And that's just the challenge. And I think the Browns are up for the challenge because they've, they've certainly shown capable. They scored over 40 points, four times a season. They can do it again. By the way, we can do it as well, which I love, but I'll take you back. Let's go back to, to Sunday night football. The Steelers score, it's 35-23 at this point, right? Then we they get the ball, they punt it to us at 35-23. Touch which they game. shouldn't have done. Neither here nor there. Wonderful decision. They had five minutes to think about punting too. Wonderful decision. We get the ball at R20. We go 80 yards for the touchdowns, obviously capped off by the unbelievable screen from Baker to Nick Chubb. But here's looking inside. This says everything you need to know about how this organization feels about its quarterback, Baker Mayfield. Five of the six plays on that drive were passes. Mm -hmm. Five of the six. When we needed it, they said, Bake, go do it. And he said, I will. Yeah. The, the Browns, it's weird. You have experience with these massive leads in multiple occasions and it turns out the winning formula was to keep passing because even in that game against the Cowboys, you ran for 300 plus yards. You ran into some trouble when you started running into some, some eight man defensive lines there. So you, 
you just got to keep the, the foot on the gas, especially against this team. And I think that's what they realized in this game against the Steelers. You just got to keep scoring. Yep. All right. Good news. We have that ability. Indeed. Right. It, keep scoring. It, keep making first downs. You keep the ball. Yeah. It, it is going to be interesting to see how the week unfolds. And as we knock on wood, let's hope that everything is nice and quiet and status quo. And it's just a playoff week and we're enjoying things. Last, last, uh, last week's BPA was quite a rewatch uh, in, in the midst of what followed afterward. It was, it was like a, a moment in history. It was. It was like a time capsule. It was like we were we weren't hip to what was happening on Wednesday morning when we recorded the BPA. Yeah, it was in a three-hour span. The BPA was it was very not, dated in a hurry. Yes, it was like one of those episodes, Gibbe, when they taped Saturday Night Live on Wednesday, but a lot of crazy world events unfolded between the taping and the actual airing of Saturday Night Live. I don't know what you're talking about. Not at all. Not at all. All right, guys, real quick. Now that you're taking your little victory lap, uh, biggest takeaway from Super Wild Card Weekend. Number one, I'm gonna I'm starting. I love the extra team. I like six games. Let's keep going, enjoying it. That was awesome this past weekend. Zagura, I'll start with football nirvana. All became the yes. best weekend of, of the NFL season. My biggest takeaway was, was that, that loved it and, and loved watching it. And the other is I'd like to see more NFL games on Nickelodeon. I thought that was awesome for the, for the brief periods that I caught it because I was at that time driving to Pittsburgh. And so I threw it on, on my, uh, in the passenger seat on my YouTube TV and the game was wretched. And I kept seeing all these tweets about what was going on on Nickelodeon. So I threw it on, transferred to Nickelodeon to watch the game. And I'm like, this is, this is great. And it, you could tell it'd be so great for kids. And as the NFL, you know, you want to continue to engage young, younger viewers. And I thought it was great. And when, you know, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, who is clearly the best agitator in the National Football League, even to his own team, just ask Michael Thomas, when he, that all went down, they're like, you know, they should have talked this out. They, you know, it was just... I thought it was it was really well done and it was a lot of fun. And Ian Eagle's son, I know, and somebody said this on Twitter, I think it was Mike Clay said, I realize this is how genetics work, but it is incredible that he sounds exactly like Ian Eagle. Like, I was like, wait a second, is this Ian Eagle calling the game? And then they said to his son, I was like, this is. He's the voice of the Clippers, if I, if I believe. Blew my mind. I, I believe Ian Eagle's son is the voice of the Clippers. Must be nice. Yeah. Ribs. Take away from you from Super Wild Card Weekend. I, this is the, the homer pick here, but I think the Browns had the most impressive w- win of the weekend. There's usually always kind of a statement kind of victory in the first week of the, the playoffs, the one that kind of gets your attention and you're like, wow, that team really showed up. It was the Browns. Because I think you, you looked at some of the, maybe the, the heavy hitters. Buffalo didn't look as good as they'd been in the previous weeks. New Orleans kind of slogged through their game against Chicago. Tampa made Taylor Heineke look like uh, a legitimate NFL quarterback. I mean, a lot of just kind of teams going through the motions or just doing just enough to win. The Browns are the ones that made the statement this weekend. So it's, it's always tough to, to, to keep that same level for the next week, but that's on the, on the Browns too. But the Browns in the final game of the weekend, they were the most, they, they delivered by far the most impressive win of any team out there. All right, so that leads us to divisional weekend. Obviously, the Browns and the Chiefs, Sunday at 3.05. But on Saturday, 4.35, Rams and Packers. I don't know who's playing quarterback for the Rams. 
Saturday night, 8-15, Ravens-Bills. A quick thought from each of you on the Saturday games. Gribble, I'll start with you. Uh, my personal take on Rams-Packers is that, that to me, we've yet to have a true blowout in, in the playoffs so far. That, that, to me, is shaping up as – as the one that could could go awry quickly. I think the, the Rams survived and did what they needed to do to beat the Seahawks. But I think with Aaron Donald banged up, questions at quarterback, it's really cold in Green Bay. I I just that that's the one that if I have to pick a game that's going to get out of hand in a hurry, that's my pick. That Rams D is so good though. It does hinge, I think you're right though, on Aaron Donald because they they've stymied everybody. And if I was going to add one little quick takeaway from last week, it's just what's up with Russ and the Seahawks offense? I mean, it is insane how they fell off of a cliff. And it reminds you just how long an NFL season is and you can't crown anybody after four weeks. But uh, I think that game, yes, obviously significantly favors the Packers. I think that Saturday night game is, is a main event type of a game. The way that the Ravens are playing right now, the way the Bills are playing right now, those are two great teams. And I think the AFC playoffs are so incredibly compelling right now. I, I think you look at the NFC you, you can write, you know, Green Bay in. And I know that people outside of Brown's world, and by the way, same people who said we couldn't beat the Steelers are probably penciling in the Chiefs in the AFC Championship. But I think if we've shown we can beat anybody. And in the AFC, I think these four games are just awesome. But I, I think that Buffalo-Baltimore game, much in many ways, like our blowout was the statement, but I thought the best wild card game was Titans-Ravens. I mean, it was the most compelling, physical, intense game that had that vibe to it. So I'm excited to see Bills-Ravens. That should be a dandy. Sunday night, after we conclude, Tampa Bay, New Orleans. Two old guys playing quarterback. Eh, they're all right. Brady, Breeze, promises to be a special night in New Orleans. Zagur, I'll start with you. The Saints don't impress me. I'm sorry. Maybe I'm just totally off base on it and they're going to put together a good performance but for example I cannot under any circumstances see the Saints go to Green Bay in that cold and win a game their defense is excellent it, without it being like a fluky a turnover here or there or whatever Breeze is not the same player that he used to be not even close and so they don't impress me very much they should have blown out a Bears team that dr literally dropped their only chance at a touchdown in that game before Jimmy Graham made that unbelievable catch that made the, the game appear closer than it was um I think the Bucs are going to beat him. I, I, I like what the – getting Antonio Brown, a guy can still play. He can still play. That was a huge yes. addition. And in honor of the Bucs and also due to its incredibly close proximity to our parking lot at uh, Heinz Field, I did imbibe some Taco Bell uh, in honor of the Bucs. And, and it, was, it was a treat. I was living moss. Gribble, what do you think for Sunday night? What are you expecting to see? Yeah, I mean, the Saints – I am correct. They beat them twice during the regular season, correct? I, I, I never like having a team having to win a third time. I, I just – that that makes me uneasy about that game. And I, I, I also agree with, with Nathan in that I think the Packers have a nice smooth runway to the Super Bowl right now. But if I'm picking a team that gives them a better game next round, it's probably going to be Tampa because I just think the Saints yeah. – yeah, the Saints, the Saints are just – They've got really good defense. And I think they, they certainly they're built in a way to give Tom Brady issues. So I, I still would not feel comfortable picking Tampa to win this game, but I do think Tampa gives provides the more compelling matchup the following week. Yeah. But, Tom can play in cold weather. Like that's what he's done his entire career. So going to green Bay, I think is much different for him than it is for breeze breeze. Hasn't been good outdoors for a couple of years. 
I mean, anybody who plays fantasy football knows that when you see him on the road outdoors in any kind of cold or wind, you're like, yeah, maybe I'll pick somebody up off the waiver wire. Saints defense, though, does not get enough credit, though. That's a legit defense. Agreed. It's one of the best defenses in the league, and I think that's that's why – I think they have a, a, a very good chance uh, to advance, but I don't like either team's chances very much after this round. All right. That's a look around the league as we get ready for the divisional matchups. Guys, time to sit back. Eh, not really time to sit back. We're going to be working like crazy for you for the next five days leading up to kickoff at 3.05 on Sunday. Gribs, what can we expect on clevelandbrowns.com this week? Well, we've got a, a big feature on our guys, Michael Dunn and Blake Hans, who really defied all odds to not only be on the field, but to play at an elite level on, on the, on, in that game on, on Sunday. And then we just got the normal – uh, comprehensive coverage that you can always come to expect. So it, it's, a, it's a big week. I, I much enjoy writing about actual football at this time of year than, than senior bowl prospects. Yeah, correct. Bringing the no best. Doubt. And I'm doing two-minute drills every day to get you ready. So Monday was an overview of the Chiefs. Uh, Tuesday was the Chiefs offense. Today will be the Chiefs defense. Then we'll get into the matchups to watch. And, of course, the winning mix, a.k.a. the keys to victory on Friday. And we've got all kinds of Browns Live stuff going on. So stay tuned for, for updates on all of that. Yeah, in addition, on the radio side, uh, Cleveland Browns Daily every day. Yesterday, a uh, – Pretty great day. Peter King, Sam Monson joined us. Yeah, uh, listen to the Mark Sessler is going to join us on Wednesday. Uh, a number. Of, what's that? I.E. today. I.E. today. Exactly. For those of you that are paying attention. Um, but looking forward to that, we also have the Browns preview show Wednesday night, the Kevin Stefanski show Thursday night, another special uh, playoff preview special on Friday night on the radio network at seven o'clock. And, of course, the pregame shows comes your way at 11 a.m. on Sunday morning, taking you all the way up to kickoff at 3.05 with Jim Doug and the Z that stands for Zagura. You can like and subscribe today to this podcast, the best podcast available, wherever you get your podcast. Download it today. For Andrew Gribble, for Nathan Zagura, for Jeff McDaniel behind, uh, behind the scenes, who is awake finally after a marathon weekend in Pittsburgh, I'm Jason Gibbs. We're hoping to be back next week to preview the AFC championship. Knock on wood. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening to the best podcast available.